this session is on uh, understanding the progression uh, in progressive sanctification. That's pretty much what this whole um, uh, theme of this uh, conference has been on, is progressive sanctification. In fact, Phil Johnson just gave a good base for this. I'm going to touch on it a little bit here within this uh, on Romans chapter 6, because Romans chapter 6 is really the Cadillac chapter, you know, in the New Testament to a degree. Um, but when we talk about this phrase, progressive sanctification, how many have heard that term before? How many have heard it often? Very few Christians have heard it. They hear it, you know, here and there, and it's, they think about it, they, they hear it uh, from time to time. But, you know, very few understand it in a very practical way, how it works out in everyday life. But yet it's probably, it's, uh, it's in a very important uh, doctrine biblical doctrine, very important biblical doctrine that every Christian should understand. In fact, it's a very important uh, doctrine that every Christian counselor should really grasp uh, well. How to progress in sanctification, because that's what we're doing as we're counseling, right? Progressive sanctification is the process in a Christian's life in which he or she is becoming more and more Christ-like. So in other words, when we as Christians, when we talk about spiritual growth, or when we talk about growth in Christian maturity, what are we talking about? The biblical doctrine of progressive sanctification. Just different uh, ways of stating it. And as a result of the sanctification process, what's taking place? Well, we're becoming more and more free from personal sin and more and more like Christ in everyday life. Now, that brings us to a problem. The problem is that there's many Christians that aren't progressing in sanctification. Is that true? Many Christians live uh, defeated lives. Now, they may not want to live defeated life, but they're, they have not been able to overcome particular issues in their lives that they know are not uh, pleasing and honoring to God. Many Christians are crippled by fears. They're consumed by worries and anxieties. They're given to lustful thoughts. Many have struggling marriages because they're not able to overcome a bad temper, a biting tongue, an unforgiving spirit. And, you know, they kind of resign themselves to what we can call a mediocre Christian life, just a defeatist lifestyle. Now, the question is why? Why are many Christians not progressing in sanctification as they should? I mean, what does the Bible tell us? We're overcomers, right? We're more than victors, right? But so often, more than not, uh, we're not. And one of the reasons why, not the only one, but I think one of the reasons why is because they're ignorant of the, the biblical doctrine of progressive sanctification. And therefore, they're trapped into thinking that it's impossible to change any sinful habits, thoughts, and tendencies that they've practiced for years, and they just adopt this defeatist attitude. So what I want to do in this session here is to share with you a few uh, biblical principles uh, for personal change or personal transformation, because that's what we're talking about here in sanctification, personal transformation. And it has to begin with the proper mindset. That's Roman numeral one in your outline, the proper mindset. Conversion begins a process, a lifelong process. It's not the Lord's uh, intent for us to uh, 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 come to, to faith in his, in his Son and just to remain as we are for the rest of our days, right? But to grow in Christ's likeness. 
That should be the normal course of the Christian life, to grow in Christ-like qualities. And the second sub-point, number two, is very important. Take a look at that. God has designed the sanctification process to be a cooperative venture between his spirit and the believer. This is important. There's too many Christians that have this thought, and there's this trite saying out there. It's been out there for years. I remember as a, as a new Christian myself back in the 1970s, uh, stop trying and start trusting. Or what's the other one? Uh, where's the other one, too? Oh, yeah? There's another way they say it as well. Uh, I can't recall right now. Let go and let God, yeah. Those are only half the truth. It's not that there's no truth there, but they're half the truth. Uh, but when I say God has designed the sanctification process to be a cooperative venture between his spirit and the believer, in other words, what I'm talking about here is that God is at work in our sanctification, right? But you know what? We also have a role to play. We have a role to play in it. Now, I want to point this out to you, and there are several scriptures on your outline, but look at number three. Uh, Romans chapter eight is what should be sufficient to show you, but you can look up the other scriptures I have for you there in the outline. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8. Y'all there? Okay, good. I don't want I want you to make sure you're there so you don't think I'm lying to you, okay? Look with me at verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. It says in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, anybody there see this joint roll I'm talking about? What is it? Where do you see it? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Who? You. You. There's a nice balance there, isn't it? But if by the Spirit you put to death, who who's commanded to put to death the deeds of the, of the flesh? We are. Huh? The Spirit? We are. We are. You. But it says... Uh, uh, it's not the spirits who commanded this. It's we're to put it to, uh, uh, these uh, misdeeds of the flesh uh, to death. And of course, we're not we're not to do it in our own power. We're to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but um, we're the ones that are commanded to do so. We have that now that power within us to do so in Christ Jesus. We don't do it in our own power. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and He empowers us when when we walk in obedience and faith, right? Mm -hmm. Then he empowers us. We can't just sit back and think, okay, it's going to happen automatically, like like the magic wand theology or something like that. As we exercise faith and obedience, he will empower us to be overcomers in areas of our life. Now, 
Take a look at number four on your outline, because a, a proper mindset includes an understanding of a liberating truth, what Phil Johnson just got done talking about, this liberating truth uh, found in Romans chapter 6. So if you back up a page or two to Romans 6, I wanted to take a look briefly at a couple of verses. This, this whole chapter, especially the first 14 verses, every Christian counselor should really have a good grasp on. It's a difficult passage. It's a very difficult passage of Scripture. But you can get a handle on it if you really study it and meditate upon it. Read some uh, good commentaries upon, uh, on it as well. But I want you to take a look at, let's look at uh, verses 6 and 7, because that's the conclusion that it comes to there. Uh, when it talks about our union with Christ, and we don't have time, that's a whole session in itself. But look what it says in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, what's the old self? What's he referring to here? The old self. Who, before our conversion. Who we were in Adam, right? The old self refers to our identity as a descendant of Adam. We identified with Adam. After conversion, who do we identify with now? Christ. Christ. Right. And and the, the old so this is the old lifestyle that was dominated by what? The ruling power of sin. So he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, in other words, the rule of sin, might be brought to nothing, made ineffective. And then so that, and here's the, here's the conclusion, here's the result, so that what? We would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We're free from sin's bondage. Sin's power over, uh, over you has been, has been broken. That's our place when? At conversion. At conversion, through faith in the sacrificial and the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross, God has delivered you from the ruling power of sin. That's a glorious truth, isn't it? The glorious truth of Romans chapter 6, in a nutshell, is that you died to sin. That's what it says in verse 2 and 11. You died to sin. We died. And it says, you have been set free from sin. We see that in verse 7 and verse 18. We've been set free from sin. And verses 4 and 13 tells us, we are free now to walk in newness of life. By God's grace, a believer has been set free from the bondage of sin. We are free to overcome sinful habits, thoughts, and tendencies that we have practiced for years. Free to live for Christ. And, and you really have to grasp and believe this liberating truth uh, 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 of the work of Christ in your life in order to live in the reality of who we are in Christ. Whenever I counsel and meet with a, a, a counselee who's having a, a, a real struggle in the Christian life, uh, first I want to uh, try to see if they understand the gospel, of course, you know, and what that means in their life. Uh, but then I'll bring them to Romans chapter 6 and uh, try to walk them through that so they can understand what has taken place to them. And what I found about Romans 6 is that it's better caught than taught. It's better caught than taught. You know, and a lot of times when I go over it with with them and the ones who catch it, and then after some, those who don't catch it, after you explain it to them, it could be two or three sessions. 
I, I really question their conversion, to tell you the truth, if they don't, because the Spirit of God, I believe, drives this home, who we are in Christ, our union, our identity in Christ, and it's a liberating truth, but that's where it has to begin. It has to begin with the proper mindset. And then Roman numeral two, it has to, you have to understand the biblical process of change. The biblical process of change. And uh, one reason, uh, uh, and one of the reasons why uh, many Christians fail to change is because they try to change by uh, merely breaking bad habits. Remember when I was a kid, my mother would say to me, you better break that bad habit, Armin. <laughs> not unusual to hear somebody tell you to break that bad habit, you know? Many Christians have what we can call uh, a religion of avoidance. A religion of avoidance. That's what we have. I had that at the beginning of my Christian life. You know, putting forth an effort into trying to stop thinking about something or to stop doing something that you know is not pleasing to God. And it's harmful to your Christian walk. Right? Put forth this, this effort to stop thinking and doing certain things. But you know, true and lasting change is not going to take place if you only concentrate on trying to stop what you know is wrong. That's not the way God wired us up. Number one in your uh, sub-point one there, uh, look at sub-point one, it says, a key biblical principle for personal change is this. We don't break bad habits, we replace them. We don't break bad habits, we replace them. Now this is what's called, what theologians call the principle of replacement. It's the principle of replacement. And this is a principle, when, I, uh, when my eyes were opened up to this a number of years ago, it's a principle that it just runs all throughout scripture. Just runs all throughout Scripture. Look with me, if you would, number two in your outline, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, if you would uh, t turn uh, forward to Ephesians chapter four, because it clearly describes this uh, this process that I'm talking about. All right, you probably should open your iPhones, right? To Ephesians chapter four. <laughs> I keep saying turn in your Bibles and everybody's holding up something. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to look at verses 22 and 20 through 24. It says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, now basically, the process of change, how we change, how God has wired us up, is seen in, in three key phrases here. Verse 22, the, the phrase, put off. In verse 23, the phrase, be renewed. And in verse 24, put on. That's how we change. That's the way God created us to change. That gives us a good summary of the sanctification process. <clears throat> you're to put off your old sinful way of life, you're to renew your mind with the truths of Scripture, and you're to put on the new godly way of life. Let me try to drive this home with an illustration. This is an illustration Jay Adams uses. If you've heard it before, you don't, don't answer it. When is a, an habitual liar no longer a liar? When is an habitual liar no longer a liar? When he tells the truth. Oh, see, you heard it before. No. A lot of people say when he stops lying. 
But what does he have to do to stop lying? He has to speak the truth, right? Therefore, when's a habitual liar no longer a liar? I'll tell you when, when he's something else. He has to be something else. He's become an habitual truth teller. He's replaced lying with truthfulness. So in other words, what we're talking about here, to be changed or to be transformed, you have to become something else than what you are. It's not enough to just put off the old self. You also have to put on the, the new self if you want to really have true and lasting change that takes place in your life or a Consolee's life. In fact, you know uh, what the put off, put on process is? It's true repentance. It's true repentance. Does anybody know what the word repentance literally means? Change of mind. To have a change of mind, right? But how does that work out in everyday life? How does that work out in everyday life? It's to have a change of mind or a change of heart. It's to make a hundred... It's to make a 180 degree turn, right? You're going in this direction, and now God stops you, saves your soul. Now you're walking in this direction, right? 180 degree turn. That's the idea behind repentance. It's making it about face. Turning from our sinful ways to God's ways. That's the put-off, put-on process. It's true repentance. That's what I'm saying. It's just all through Scripture. Let me give you a few examples of this right here in Ephesians chapter 4. Number 3 in your outline. I have some scriptures there for you. They're not typed out, but uh, I mean uh, uh, just following along in your Bible. And, and as we look at these scriptures, I want you to notice that the replacement is the biblical solution to each, uh, each sinful practice. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. When's a liar no longer a liar? When he speaks the truth. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, now this gives us a remarkable transformation of a thief. In fact, I have a message on that. I have a sermon on that, the, the transformation of a thief. And, and he's transitioned from being a thief to getting an honest job to actually taking some of his money and now giving it to people in need like he was. I mean, that's what I call true transformation, right? That exemplifies how genuine repentance affects a person's life. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, what's to replace the, the meaning and more demoralizing words? Corrupting words. It's to, what's to replace it? Words that build up. Words that are gracious and, and build others up. That's how, that's how God wants us to speak to one another. You know, is that how you speak to your spouse, to your children? Look at uh, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Put it off, along with all malice. And put on what? Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, as a pastor for 33 years, I've had times that people came to me and, and it says, you know, uh, such and such did this to me, uh, or my wife did this to me, and blah, blah, blah. And I, how, do, what do, how do I 
get rid of this bitterness. There's the solution right there in verse 32. That's not an easy one, it's a hard one. And the solution is to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. I mean, we've been forgiven of, you, you ever heard a parable of, uh, of the, uh, the, uh, the, in, uh, in, uh, yeah, in, uh, Matthew 18, it's Matthew 18, right? And, uh, where he was forgiven from his master of like, they said it was like $20 million, the equivalent to $20 million, and then somebody owed him 20 bucks and threw him in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how it is. God's forgiven us of $20 million, $20 billion, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to go to hell forever. So we can forgive someone who has sinned against us. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. In every one of these examples, every sinful behavior is overcome by what? A, 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 the replacement, the, the biblical replacement, or biblical alternative. You see, what's important to understand here, instead of having a, uh, a religion of avoidance, is that concentrating on what needs to be put on is going to be very helpful in overcoming sinful tendencies that you've practiced for years. In fact, that's how, that's how the sinful ones start fading out, as we concentrate on what we, we should be. I remember learning this, uh, I didn't know this principle until years later as a new believer. I grew up in a house that was very impatient. My, my uh, parents were very impatient people and I grew up, I was impatient. As an adult, I didn't get saved until I was 27 and very impatient. And uh, in the church that I got saved, uh, I, I remember I had to drive home where I, when I first got married and we got uh, an apartment and there was these railroad tracks I had to cross every day, twice a day. A train, twice a day. Twice a day. And then if my wife wanted me to stop at a store, there was a little convenient type store to go to. Uh, of course, she wanted me to pick up something on the way home and uh, by the railroad tracks there, and I'd stop in there, and the clerk would just, uh, and I'm in a big hurry, you know, and just getting so impatient. Those little things. It's not the big things that got me. It was the little things like that. And there was this guy in the church. His name was Dave. Dave was the epitome of patience. You know, I, just, I wanted to feel this pulse if he was alive. You know? <laughs> But I, but I started saying to myself, okay, when I hit that railroad, that railroad uh, going by, what would Dave do now? Now, what would Dave do? You know, instead of me thinking, I got to stop being a patient, stop being a patient, Harmon. You know, what would Dave do? You know, kind of. So I was kind of doing that without even understanding what I was doing. But uh, it's very helpful to concentrate on what God wants us to do. You see, sinful hate behaviors, uh, sinful habits, and sinful practices—they're learned ways of, of living, is what they are. And we reinforce their hold on us, and we become characterized by them. How? Through repetition and practice. And therefore, we can weaken their grip on our lives as these new godly ways of living are learned through daily practice, if you don't mind me putting this way. Kind of like a sports type of thing, you know. As you practice a certain sport, you get better at it. It's the kind of the idea. In fact, we're exhorted in First Timothy 4.7, it says, train yourself to godliness. Train yourself for godliness. You know, Train or exercise yourself or discipline yourself for, toward godliness. Mm-hmm. 
change is a, it's a gradual process that takes place as you put into practice biblical principles for living. And as you do this over time, new ways of living are going to take shape, and the old sinful ways are going to disappear, and you'll become transformed. Transformed in that area of your life. That's how it works. Now, let me add another element here that we, we bypassed. Look at Roman numeral 3, the process of renewal. Still in Ephesians 4, and uh, I want you to notice in between uh, verses 20, Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 24, uh, in between the kind of person that you're supposed to put off and uh, uh, put on are the words, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see that? Be renewed of the spirit of your mind, verse 23. And what this is speaking about, the spirit of your mind, you're speaking about an inner renewal, an inner renewal. So in other words, uh, as Phil said earlier, personal change is not simply, it's more than simply modifying behavior. We're not talking about behavior modification here, and we talk about this put off, put on process. The spirit of your mind refers to the inner person, the inner person, the core of your being. This is, this is where this, the, the, this is the seat of your motives, your desires, your attitudes, and your thoughts. You see your beliefs and so forth. That's what this is. Your heart, the, 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 the inner person or the heart of man, okay, we, we talk about heart, we're not talking about that thing that beats, right? But the inner person, this is the immaterial part of man, right? There's two parts of man, body and then immaterial part, spirit, soul, mind, uh, heart and so forth that the Bible calls. Uh, and you can kind of define the heart as your motives, your desires. Your, uh, your, th your thinking process, your beliefs, those inner attitudes, that disposition of your heart that affects your, your uh, behavior and your actions and your words and so forth. This is the core, core of our being that is talking, the spirit of your mind. And what the Bible teaches is that there's a vital connection between your heart, the inner person, and your outward actions and behavior. I want you to listen to what the Bible says about this. Uh, I got the scripture references, uh, just the references on your outline number two. But let me listen as I read them. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 that Phil uh, expounded on before lunch says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now that, this is, a, this is, there's an urgency here. There's like, keep your heart, keep it, keep it. With all vigilance, do it with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. In Matthew 12, Jesus says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do we say what we say? It's coming from our hearts. There's something in our heart. Something that he goes on in, in Mark chapter 7, and here's what he says. For from within, out of the heart of man, of evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And he stops there to probably give us a break. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, all these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. 
Now, what's Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is saying that the heart is the source of our sin problem. That's where it comes from. We like to think it's somebody else. We like to blame it on other people, something outside of us. But he said it's the heart. I don't think there's probably a more important thing that could be said about why we do what we do. There is a humongous, within the past 20, 30 years or so, there has been a new science that has developed, the science of motivation. What makes us do what we do? Okay? Jesus pinpointed it 2,000 years ago. <laughs> they're they're trying, still trying to figure out why we do what we do. You know? But he tells us why right there. Look at number three. So what we uh, conclude here is this. These scriptures teach that sin begins in the heart and expresses itself outwardly. Therefore, where's change in behavior begin? Change in behavior is going to have to begin with change in the heart. Our motives, our desires, our attitudes, and our thought. That's where it has to start. You have to go to the root of the problem in order to change bad fruit, right? You see, for real change to take place, you're going to have to look beyond your behavior, even look beyond your emotions. We're ruled by emotions in our, uh, our world today, our country, and so on. You have to look beyond behavior, look beyond your emotions, and ask yourself the question, what is ruling my heart right now that's influencing my behavior and my emotions? You know, emotions cannot be, our emotions cannot be sustained without thought. There's a thought, there's something we're thinking, generally speaking, that creates certain ugly emotions, or even good emotions, joy you know, and so on. God created us to have emotions. And what we need to do is we need to pray that God will expose any motives, any desires, any attitudes, any thoughts that are not pleasing to Him. That's the key to change. God knows that we cannot live out the Christian life unless we're being renewed in the core of our being. He knows that. So, number four. How, how does this take place? How does inner renewal take place? Well, the primary means, the primary means God uses, they're secondary means, but the primary one is what? His word. He uses his word. Now, here's a few scriptures there. For example, John 17, 17. Anybody know Jesus prayed for a disciple? Anybody know what John 17, 17 says? What he prayed? For his disciples? Your Word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. See? Look at that second bullet, under four. Therefore, we can say that personal transformation is the process by which the Spirit of God uses the Word of God and changes us to become like the Son of God. You see, you're being renewed by God's word, uh, work of illumination in your heart as truth enlightens it. You're being renewed as you're continually grasping and appropriating the truths of God's word. You're being renewed when your desires, your motives, and your attitude, and your thoughts are becoming more and more Christ-like. 
And each time you choose to replace a sinful desire, motive, attitude, or thought to a more biblical one, you're being renewed. And this is going to lead, this inner renewal is going to lead to putting off the old way of life and putting on the new way of life that's pleasing and honoring to God. See that chart on your outline there? Kind of visualizes. It's something I put together to kind of help you visualize uh, the sanctification process. And as a renewal process, it's taking place eventually that the old self is going to fade. And it's going to become less and less dominant in your life. And the new self is going to become more and more dominant. And your efforts will be blessed. And you will become transformed. That's how it works in a nutshell, brethren. Now, Roman numeral number four, putting it into practice. Um, I mentioned uh, part of the description for this thing is to uh, um, for you to... Uh, um, uh, to make, uh, have you be informed of a, a particular resource. Uh, again, remember what 1 Timothy 4.7 says. Uh, train yourself for godliness. Exercise or discipline yourself. And a helpful resource for this that's based upon what I just got done teaching you is transformed into his likeness. Anyone ever seen this here? It's here at the, at the conference right now. But transformed into his likeness, if you read that uh, caption there, that uh, description, is a handbook for putting off sin and putting on righteousness. And it's a helpful resource dealing uh, detailing how to put Christ-like change into your practice in everyday life, and it's a useful and practical tool for those involved in counseling and other discipleship ministries. Um, pastors, uh, church leaders, biblical counselors, Bible study leaders, and so forth, any Christian really uh, wanting to grow in their own personal life or wanting to uh, help others uh, grow in their own spiritual life, it's a very useful tool for them. And there's several features within us that, that, that make this possible. Uh, at the beginning of this handbook, there's a, there's a, um, a teaching, an explanation of of how we change, the change process, the biblical process of personal transformation, which uh, goes into a little bit more detail than, uh, than what I just gave you here. And, uh, and it helps uh, a person you're counseling, it helps them understand how change takes place. I give it as a homework assignment, usually the first or second week. Yeah, I give it for a homework assignment. Then they come, I want them to tell me any significant statements on this explanation of change and come back next week and explain them to me, what they are. And then they come back next week, and I said, did you read it? And I asked them to read it twice. And they say, yeah. And I said, well, what, what did you find that was significant? And they share that with me. And as they're sharing that with me, I, I, can, I can discern if they're grasping how change takes place in their life. You see, and if they're weak in any areas, I can shore that up with them. And then they were also supposed to, as a homework assignment, in fact, it gives you a three or four step process uh, in here of how to do that in a counseling session within the first month where you can get a lot of data from them and help them uh, understand how, to, how change happens. Uh, but there's that introductory uh, teaching or explanation of it, and then it's followed by a put-off, put-on list. There's over 100 
things here, 114. Actually, I, I put these together through a period of time because when I was working on my certification some years back, uh, um, and I was working with a fellow, you know, he had to do the 50 sessions over with the supervisor, and I had, there was two couples, two separate couples, I had to meet with them for two different times of the week, and uh, trying to, uh, for, marriage, uh, for marriage counseling, marriage counseling is very hard, because you have two different people that are like, you know, they, they don't, they don't, you know, they're, they start here, they're all, everything's wonderful, and then they, you know, they, they get about here, and things just start going down. You wish they would come to you here. No, they, they wait for it to hit rock bottom. Yeah. 15 years that way, then they want you to raise the debt, you know. So, <laughs> but they came, and then I, I brought them the math, you know, they said, well, what's the problem? Well, her this, her this, he this, he this, her this, her this, he this. All right, I said, I'll tell you what, here's what I want you to do. In a nutshell, we did more, more than that, but I, let, I want you to tell me individually how you individually are contributing to the detriment of your marriage. Not your wife, not your husband, but you. I want a list next week. I want you to bring me a list. So they came back in the next week. Both couples did this. Remember, two separate times. Both couples did that. The wife comes back. She gives me a list of 15 things that she says she's doing wrong. And I said, how about what do you got for the husband? I've got to read the Bible and more. I've read the Bible more and pray. <laughs> got to read the Bible more and pray. Both of them did that to me. And I'm thinking, well, we're not getting anywhere like this. So I started writing out a list of sins. Yeah, I started writing out a list of sins. And, I, and then the next week, I gave it that list to, to both of those guys. And I said, I want you to check off where you think this characterizes you. You know, and then they came back with about 25 things the next week, and I thought, well, that works pretty good. <laughs> it's an eye opener. It helps you uh, to put off, put on lists. You know, it's the uh, what the sin is, and then right in the passage, most of the time, 90% of the time, it was ex extremely exhilar exhilarating to do it. There's the solution, God's solution to the problem, right there. And uh, but. When, I, when they have to give me this, the, the check, when they check things off, and then I have the list of that check off, and it's usually 15 to 25 things, it gives me a lot of data within one week. I have a lot of data. And it's amazing, they're accurate 90% of the time when they really get serious and start getting introspective with one another. And then, uh, so there's also what, what they're to put on, and then there's also a scripture references here that relate to it, that, and the scripture references uh, are like a ready reference, uh, putting uh, pertinent uh, uh, Bible passages uh, to these 114 different sins uh, that Christians struggle with. Um, but it reveals blind spots in people's eyes. It kind of awakens them uh, to that. It's a great uh, counseling tool. And, uh, and then there's also a... Uh, a uh, there's an explanation on uh, how to use it in a discipleship or counseling ministry. There's an alphabetical list for a quick, if sometimes you're, you're counseling somebody and you think, where's that scripture that relate to that? Where's that scripture? And you don't know that I have an alphabetical list that you can go to and then you can look up certain scriptures uh, that would help in that. And the alphabetical, uh, this uh, topical list, uh, you won't find in, in a lot of concordances. A lot of concordances are going to have things that are unique for, for counseling and so on. 
and then it shows you how to work through the transformation. Uh, there's a sheet in the back that they can fill out and they can actually work on. I asked them, what, are their, what do they think their two top problems are out of this list of 15 to 20 or so they gave me? And then I have them work on one or two, depending on how much time they have uh, with their week, if they work or if they don't or so on. But, um, and then they start working on it. This is based upon the sanctification process, this, this, this sheet here. And this is, uh, this is an explanation of how to work through it. Then there's an example of how one person did it. Uh, this person was a, a woman, actually, that my wife consoled, and her problem was anxiety and worry. And uh, she looked at the scriptures, and the ones that spoke to her were Matthew 6, where Jesus talks about uh, uh, not to be not anxious about anything, and the others in Philippians 4, where Paul talks about being not anxious about things uh, as well. And then she, the, the, here's the insight she gleaned from this as she did it. And you've got to remember, as they're doing this, they're, they're in a, um, a very introspective time uh, in their life. It's kind of almost a crisis thing because they're coming for counseling. They know they got a problem. And they, so they, they're, they're alone with the Lord. They, they looked at these scriptures, and now they're trying to insights gleaned. You know. well, what are these verses teaching? And she wrote, well, God promises to meet all my physical needs. God commands me not to worry about my future. God wants me to focus on loving and serving him, and he will take care of me. I am to pray instead of worry. That's out of Philippians 4. I should not let my mind dwell on things that are not true. I must focus my thoughts on what God says is true, and then he will give me his peace. That those are, that, these are observations she made based upon the scriptures that spoke to her. There were more scriptures in under anxiety and worry, but those are the two main ones that spoke to her. This is God is using His Word for inner renewal. Okay, and then okay, what does she have to put put out? How have I failed to live by this? Well, when I go to bed at night, I'm unable to fall asleep. I lie there thinking about our financial situation and how we will make ends meet. When I wake up during the night, I can't fall back asleep because I start thinking about the cares of the next day. My heart starts to beat fast, and I worry that something is physically wrong with me. And then she wrote down, I believe money will bring me peace and security. That's the heart problem. And the reason how she gets to that is because this explanation on top gives you questions on how to get to the heart. You know, how to get to what your heart problem, what, what, what your motive or your desire is, and so on. And then she goes on to put on, what, how, what changes do I need to make? Here's what she wrote. She said, well, first she puts down, and again she gets that from this explanation, I need to pray and trust in God's sovereignty and fatherly care. That's from the put on list. And she says, I need to begin trusting, this is all from the passages, trusting that God knows what I need and will provide it. Matthew 6. Instead of worrying about the needs of my family, I should pray about my concerns. Philippians 4. I must find my security in God. I should be thankful for my husband's job and the way God uses it to provide for our family. And then she has to make a plan, my plan for change. How will, cha these change, how will I make these changes? What is my specific plan? And you have to get specific. Most Christians know in general, or in principle, that God wants them to change something about themselves. But they don't know how to specifically do it. That's where you have to help them. You know, and here's what she said. This woman was like a, 
uh, prototype. I will commit to memory Philippians 4, 6 through 9. I will transfer my worry list over to my prayer list. I will make a list of all the things, all the ways that God is providing for my family and all the special ways he has blessed us. I will daily thank God for his provision and for promising to provide for all my needs. When I have a hard time falling asleep, I will discipline my mind to dwell on the truths of Philippians 4, 6-9. And I will pray for God to fill me with his peace and to help me sleep. I will share with others about the special ways God takes care of me and my family. I will review this worksheet often. This is training yourself in godliness. You know what this is? What this is, is uh, uh, when, when uh, Jesus says, blessed I, uh, 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 this is the, 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 the attitude on uh, blessed, uh, uh, the uh, hungering and thirsty after righteousness, the attitude. That's what this person was doing here. So I think you can kind of see, this is, she, she's making a plan, and, and she's practicing this plan, and eventually this woman has been transformed. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, she's not perfect. She still has her little struggles here and there, but she's not crippled anymore through it. She made her own plan, and she did it. So, um, so that's something uh, that uh, I wanted to make you aware of that you could uh, utilize in your discipleship or counseling ministry. Now, any questions, any comments? Okay, well, let's take a minute. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, you know, she rooted, the, she rooted the, her problem as being her believing that money brings her peace and security. Mm-hmm. And then that would then also lead the fact that she's believing falsely about God to keep her Right, that's right. And most, that's, every sin, you know what A.W. Tozer says? Hit me years ago. Every sin that we commit is a sin against an attribute of God. That's right. And I'm thinking, wow, that sounds kind of simplistic. And you know what? He's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. The more I think about it, he's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. When she works through that, there's questions to ask. Uh, you know, like on that, like I said, on top there to expose, you know, what's ruling my heart, uh, uh, the, what is ruling my heart that is linked to my behavior and emotions, what am I longing for, craving, expecting, what is my, what is my source of refuge, comfort, and pleasure, and security, what do I want that I'm not getting, what am I getting that I don't want, how and why am I responding to what I'm getting or what I'm not getting, what am I fearing or worrying about, you know. And I'll complete this statement, if only blank, then I would be happy and fulfilled. And that's how she came to that determination for her own self. Lord, thank you for our time together here. I do pray that and trust that um, this um, um, uh, explanation of how uh, we change and progress in sanctification was beneficial and helpful and that you will continue to add and add clarity to all of our hearts concerning it. We pray for your honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you.